Welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover, your home for ice fishing news, tips, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Chris Larson. Good evening and welcome to the Fish House Nation podcast and Catch Cover Live. Joining us tonight is Jim Eakman and John Sampson from Band of Brothers Outdoors and Fish House 360. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Good evening, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me too, Chris. And thanks for coming on, guys. Tonight we're going to talk Mille Lacs, and that's a lake that's kind of near and dear to your hearts. Uh, It's an incredibly popular fishing destination in Minnesota, and the quip that everybody throws out there is Mille Lacs is one of the most populous cities in the state of Minnesota on any given weekend in January and probably February, too. Yep. Uh, what makes Mille Lacs such a popular destination? Jim, you can start. Well, I think, uh, A, it's close to home for a lot of people. You don't have to travel very far at all to get there. It's, it's you know, it's under that two-hour mark for most people. And you can go there to, to catch just about any species, you know, and, and mainly uh, the walleyes. All right, John, what, what do you think? What, what do you like about Mille Lacs? You know, being a guy from the Twin Cities, I'm about 20 minutes south of St. Paul. Uh, I, I would agree with everything that Jim said. It's relatively convenient to get to. Uh, I think that the resorts that, uh, you know, kind of host road systems, things like that, do a really nice job of giving people like myself who come in with a wheelhouse an opportunity to get out on the lake, get on some fish. Mille Lacs is big enough that you can spread out, but it's small enough that you're not you know, out in the middle of nowhere in the event that you needed some help or something like that. And uh, I think there's no denying it that if you know where Jim Ekman's numbers are, you're going to get on some lunkers. I'm hoping he shares those numbers tonight <laughs> for the right price. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just fun to see, you know, some of the fish that people pull out of there and, and whether it's uh, walleye or, you know, the musky fishing, I understand is pretty huge on Mille Lacs. I think there's a lot to attract folks uh, to that lake yeah we're gonna try to get those uh those marks passed out tonight we'll, we'll show jim's <laughs> gps and get everybody dialed in there uh big news this week just came out uh, i think yesterday or monday uh the uh, the new walleye regulations for the winter fishing are out and starting december 1st through february 27th anglers will be able to keep one fish between 21 and 23 or one over 28 that's not new uh something that we've been kind of looking at for the last few years what do you guys think about those regs for this season? I'll let you go first, Jim. I, I again, I like it. Um, it's nice that we can still keep fish in the winter time. Again, I think it's, if I remember correctly, it's going on the sixth year for the winter season where we've ha- actually been able to harvest harvest the walleyes. Um, I do wish that they they go away from the twenty one to twenty three inch slot. Those are obviously fish as sportsmen we really don't want to keep. We'd rather keep the smaller slot. There are still a lot of fish in that 21 to 23 inch slot. No matter what people say or think, there's a ton of fish in that slot. All right, John. Yeah, and I would have to agree with Jim. Uh, you know, as a as a sportsman, I enjoy catching fish. As a uh, guy who likes to put food in the freezer, I like bringing a bag limit home. Uh, I think as our ice fishing sport gets more expensive, at least in my opinion, if I'm looking at, you know, spending more money on wheelhouse or equipment, fish finders, whatever, you know, I, I like to get a little something back for that in the way of, you know, fish in the freezer. Uh, I understand there's a thousand different angles uh, to this problem 
if it's a problem uh, or, you know, what everybody's got as far as their solution is. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm glad we can keep something. I think it really hurt the lake when you can't keep anything because then guys who are thinking like me are going to go find a different lake so that they can bring something home. Uh, so, you know, I guess I could see it from a lot of those different perspectives. And uh, to, to be transparent, I haven't fished Mille Lacs uh, a ton in the winter. I did have an opportunity with Band of Brothers uh, this past summer. We did a Mille Lacs uh, summer event for a group of vets. And so I was running around on a chase boat. And then outside the event, I got to do a little fishing with Jim. And we had some success, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, it's nice that we can keep them or keep one, whatever it is. And uh, I'd like to see that, you know, grow up a little bit as far as, you know, maybe a few more fish. Uh you know, I'm not a DNR fisheries expert. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what the best slot limit is for guys to take home or what's the best size breeding fish. You know, everybody's again, got their opinion on that. Um, but you know, I just want something to keep a little bit of everybody happy, I guess, is how I'd look at it. Keep the sport going. Yeah. So those are good points, guys. They, they come up with this based on the netting surveys that they do in the fall. Okay. Uh, the data mm -hmm. that, that they're releasing says the population is down from recent years, but it is higher than what we had, you know, 10, 10 to, or 6 to 10 years ago. Um, okay. Jim, I know you spend a ton of time out there in the summertime. What, what do you see? I mean, do you think that, that that's pretty fair to say what they're coming out with there? Uh, I would tend to disagree with it, honestly. Uh, when, when I'm asked, you know, being, being the, the protective person I am with my, my GPS coordinates, <laughs> um, is I'm going to tell you guys to listen to the DNR that there's no fish in the lake, but there's a lot of fish in the lake. I mean, there's, there's a ton of fish in the lake. There is no, in my opinion, there is no trouble with Lake Mille Lacs. It's all smoke and mirrors. Um, it's just my opinion. Uh, it, I don't seem to have trouble finding fish and I know there's a lot of people that don't either. Uh, the people that struggle to find fish struggle to find fish just about anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it's a really good lake. And as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's very healthy. John, you want to chime in on that one? Yeah. You know, and I, again, I would agree with Jim's sentiment there and the, the times that I fish Mille Lacs, uh, haven't been me fishing it independently trying to find fish. So I'm fortunate to go with guys like Jim or a buddy of mine, Andy, who do fish the lake. They put the time into finding the fish. And, uh, and so I've had productive fishing trips. Uh, but again, I'm blessed with good friends that, uh, that put me on good fishing. So, you know, again, I, I won't pretend to be the expert. I know there's a lot of angles to the issue and it gets politicized and there's, you know, probably a whole nother podcast to talk about just that. Um, uh, that, that, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to take more fish home, but I'm not in control of that. Yeah. You, you guys are absolutely right in that, you know, you could do several shows on, on regulations and how they work and how they come up with the data. And it's, uh, it's an interesting thing. There's a lot of people that have a lot of arguments for or against the way that they come up with things. And, uh, one of the other things that, that I'm seeing out there is, uh, you know, we talk about Mille Lacs as being a walleye lake, and I think that's really what it's known for. Um, but some of these weird kind of other species are getting some love these days, too. And I see that they uh, they dropped the tulipy bag limits from 10 to 5. And then hmm. this year you won't be able to keep burbot. And uh, from what I've understood, that, that population wow. is becoming uh, more and more difficult uh, out of Mille Lacs anyway. 
Jim, uh, your thoughts on the the Burbit and Tulaby stuff? I don't I don't know what to think with the Tulaby. I I really don't. I when I heard that I I don't fish whitefish or Tulaby much on Malax at all. So I don't know what the reasoning is behind that, other than I assume they're seeing low low counts again. Um, to the to the Burbit or eel pout as most people know it. Um, I can, I see that. I've seen that over the last five years. We used to catch five and 10 pound, pound eel pout on a regular basis. We used to target eel pout for, you know, a weekend trip and that's all we kept. And I honestly, I don't think I've caught an eel pout over two pounds in three years on, on Malax. So obviously something's changing there. I, I can, I can vouch for that. All right, John, eel pout, tulipy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, with, with the population, you know, being in decline and the, the bag limits coming down, I think it's a DNR certainly it's their response to, you know, managing that, that fish population. I don't target, uh, you know, whitefish or, or tulipy. I catch them by accident when I'm walleye fishing or perch fishing. Uh, and they, they make for a fun fight and then I throw them back cause they're stinky and on Lake of the woods, they're all wormy. So they definitely go back down the hole. Uh, you know, I, I'd never intentionally targeted eel pout or burbot until a few years back when we caught one. And, oh, my goodness, I, I think of all of them over the years I've thrown back because they're slimy and gross. And then I finally ate one and they weren't kidding about that being a lobster thing. So now when my buddies and I go ice fishing, it's one of the things we actually look forward to. If we get an eel pout, it's like that's that's going to make for a good little treat for supper. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, again, it. I don't know. Is it, is it just that part of the cycle, you know, of that species and uh, with, with how the lake has been managed with other species, you know, if we think of the, the cascade of, you know, shutting down fishing and then catch and release and, and everything that they've done to try to manage the walleye and others, uh, what effect has that had? I don't know the answer to that, but it's just something I'm thinking of. Um, are we just seeing a, a delayed effect of managing another species in a certain way? would be a question I'd have. Starting to get a few questions coming in, and we'll get to those. They're uh, more fishing-related. We wanted to talk a little bit, bit of big-picture stuff to begin, yeah. but we'll be getting to that fishing stuff in just a second. Malax, uh, obviously, what way we've been talking, it's heavily managed. It's not a lake that you're going to go to if you want to have a fish fry. Mm -hmm. But the, what I always tell people is if you're looking to catch a trophy-class walleye, there's probably no better place in the state of Minnesota. If you want that picture for the Insta, yeah, you got you to get those bragging rights. That's probably the place you want to go. Uh, Jim, what, what are some of your most memorable catches on Mille Lacs? Oh, boy. So I fish. I put a lot of hours in on Mille Lacs. And, and my, most, my most memorable, and by, by the way, I just want to back up a little bit, is when you talk about trophy walleyes, the one nice thing about going to Mille Lacs is you have the, the capability of catching a trophy anything, walleye, bass musky northern i mean you go to that lake and you can almost expect to catch a, a big fish in any one of those species but going back to the to your original question the most memorable to me is is i'm you know i'm not a professional guide and i don't plan i don't i don't pretend to be a professional fisherman on the lax there's a lot of guys on the lake that get paid to do this job day in and day out and they do a darn good job doing it but but my, my most favorite is, and in, in my wife, uh, if you saw some comments floating around this afternoon on the picture that you shared today, Chris, is I actually don't catch a lot of fish. I, I, I take a lot of pride in putting people, taking people out 
and helping them get on fish. And when we get on fish, I'm the last one to land a fish. So my, my most memorable times are watching other people enjoy reeling in or, or hand over hand, handing a fish in through the fish house or outside in a hole or, or netting a fish for, for one of my kids or one of my friends in the boat. I mean, there's many trips I won't even put a, put a line in the water because I'm, I'm having so much fun putting other people on fish. Johnny, uh, you're one of some of your most memorable moments out there. Yeah, you bet. I've got a couple. Um, I've, I've had the opportunity to ice fish it a few times. And in fact, this winter, I plan to take uh, my five-year-old uh, daughter. I took her to Lake of the Woods last year for a week, and we have a little less time to fish, and I want to be a little closer to home. Um, so I'm going to take her to Mille Lacs this year and try my hand at a couple of Jim's hot spots. Uh, mm -hmm. So um, part of those memories have yet to be made. Uh, but actually, you know, what I would point to would be that Band of Brothers event that i was able to attend uh, and, and help with uh, back in June when uh, we had a, just a whole bunch of vets out in boats and just seeing the smiles on those guys, uh, whether they rode with the charter out of Appledorns or a number of the boat captains that donated their time in their boats, uh, you know, getting the pictures coming through. I was running around in a chase boat with Jim and just getting the pictures coming through from some of the boat captains of uh, some of these vets and their wives and families uh, holding up fish was just, I mean, that's indescribable as far as that, that type of opportunity. And, you know, I love catching big fish myself. I love catching a lot of fish myself, uh, but that was just a, a different level, a next level of, of awesome um, to, to watch those guys and, and gals and their families uh, catch fish uh, through that event. So again, it's, uh, you know, it, those would be the things that I would point to. And, um, you know, I, I was on Mille Lacs a few years back when we had the, uh, I think people called it an ice quake or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I was actually out in a portable and I forget what resort we were out of, uh, but the whole ice sheet shifted about four feet. And I'll tell you what, I, I thought that might be one of my last night's ice fishing at the water slosh in the hole and everybody jumps out of their tents and looking around and, you know, you can't do anything except for, uh, you know, wait and see what's going on and, it, uh, that was just, that was an experience that, uh, that didn't involve catching fish, but involved Lake Mille Lacs being Lake Mille Lacs in the winter. And, uh, it was, it was certainly a time for sure. Yeah. I, I, I do want to mention just so you, you know, I, the amount of time I do put on the lake, it's, it's really sad in a way. I still don't have a 30 inch walleye on Mille Lacs. A lot of 28s, 29s plus never a 30 on Mille Lacs. I've got, I've got my wall mounters, but they're, they're not from Mille Lacs. Yeah, it's uh, I I love turkey hunting, and I I take a bunch of people turkey hunting, and I'm really good at putting other people on turkeys. And uh, my success rate as a uh, as a, a, a not, an unofficial guide is very high, but uh, I can't kill them myself for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I'm taking everybody else out all the time. Right. Sure. But uh, let's kind of start talking a little fishing. Malax is a huge lake, a uh, ton of flats, a uh, ton of humps out there. How do you go about finding fish? I guess uh, maybe the, the best way to put this is how do you go about finding a spot to start when you get out there? Well, I, I, I utilize a lot of my summer for that. Uh, I think a lot like a lot of other guys that fish at summer and, and winter. I, I do a lot of graphing all summer long, uh, marking a lot of spots that I've fished or, or found active, what I call active fish. Um, and so I do have a technique that I use um, in my group that fishes with me. We do have a, a standard group of four, four to five houses that fishes with us. 
And typically we start south. I'm, I'm on the east side and we start south where there's heavy structure, shallower water, less pressure early on. And, and we typically move our way north into some of the deeper water. But, I, but I'm targeting, typically I'm targeting a lot of the waypoints and, and coordinates that I, uh, that, that I've, I've, I've got over the years. And in, in our, our motto, our theory, our technique works uh, year in and year out. All right, start south, move north. How about you, yep. John? Yeah, so, you know, I uh, I tow my ice castle up there, and I'll put in at one of the resorts, whether it's uh, Red Door or, uh, you know, something out of Garrison. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a bit bound by the roads that the resorts put out, you know, whether they're pushing out to the flats or just on structure. Uh, but I approach it like I would approach, you know, any new lake if I were to go there, and that's fine structure. And then just be mindful of, you know, where are the fish going to be? You know, they're, they're obviously in the lake. Uh, so we can start with that. And then where are they going to be in relationship with that structure? What type of, what type of pathways do fish move on? And, and then why do they move? When do they move? And am I in a position to intercept that movement, uh, whether it's on a hump, off a hump, on a, you know, kind of a concave or convex surface of, of that structure. And I would just start there. And uh, I'm, I'm not a set your house down and just leave it there the whole weekend type of guy. I've got a I've got a one buddy that I fish with, you know, quite regularly uh, who there have been times we've moved the ice castle three or four times in one day to find fish. So we'll work hard to get on the fish. And, uh, you know, then once you have that spot figured out, whatever it is, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of on the money. Uh, I've had some different experiences based on where we're located, where sometimes the day bite is better because of where I'm at. Sometimes the night bite is just, you know, incredible because of where I'm at. And, uh, you know, and then I've had other trips. I can't explain why, where it's just kind of a slow, steady 24 hours a day type of thing, you know, maybe a little hotter at certain points in the day. Uh, but again, I would start on some sort of structure, work that prove that it works or prove that it doesn't work and then move accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I've found in that lake is it's not even about finding structure, but you find that structure and then you got to find the spot on the spot. Mm -hmm. You know, so many of those little humps that are out there have little fingers and some of yep. them are, are better than others. And it's like, well, you're in this one spot and then that doesn't work and you got to go to the next spot. And it almost, you know, there's, there's parts of it that make sense and there's other parts of it that don't make sense. They're just there because they're there. Um, but what kind of tools, how are you guys using your electronics to kind of break down those spots? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so we, again, we travel in a small group. I'm, I'm lucky to have some boys that have ice castles as well. And then we have one of their better friends that travels mm -hmm. with us. So, so we'll use our, our GPSs. Um, we rarely are running our pan optics at all in the winter time. We do once we set down. But we're not. We typically aren't using it to to locate fish. What we'll do is we'll we'll scatter. We'll we'll pinpoint the area we're going to target. Uh, try to get away from people on a on a known area that holds active fish, and we'll scatter throughout that area, giving ourselves plenty of room, and hopefully one of our four or five houses gets onto that active spot, and and then we'll then we'll zoom in with with uh, with one of our hummingbirds or. Uh, or the panoptics at that time and try to 
try to pinpoint them. But we're not we're not typically drilling holes and and trying to to utilize the panoptics to find it find them in the winter time. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't have a panoptics yet. So Garmin, if you're listening, uh, I'll, I'll give you my address in uh, in a private message. Uh, but I do have a buddy who's got a panoptics, and like Jim said, once you're on the fish. I don't think there is a more entertaining way to watch those fish come in than on that panoptic system. Uh, but what I do have is my iPhone with the Navionics app, and that's going to give me a, a good general lake layout. Uh, I've kicked around upgrading to a hummingbird system with the lake map on it. And again, two of my buddies have that, and that has exceptional value. Uh, but I have what I have, and then I've done trips where you know, I said, okay, I want to be here. And then we'll start, you know, drill a hole and see, you know, what does the bottom look like? What's our actual depth compared to what an iPhone app says, you know, where I'm sitting and kind of scout around that way so that I'm on or near that structure, that point to that spot that I want to be. And, uh, I, I remember a, a trip years ago, actually, I think it was my first time on Mille Lacs, and we did the whole like grid with drilling and every, you know, a whole line of guys, you know, we, camped out of the ice castle and then it was beautiful weather so we advanced our line across this structure and i got into a mess of perch that was just incredible and a guy drilled a hole four feet from me used the same jig the same you know red larvae whatever and he couldn't catch them i was sitting on him and he was four feet away and they had wanted nothing to do with them uh, but we just kind of played that game all day and all weekend and that was a lot of work uh, for finding fish, but we just worked that structure. So again, you know, I try to educate myself with the lake map and then get on there, see what the bottom's telling me and just see what the activity looks like. And if it's not something that's working, I, I'm not afraid to get up and, and move if I have to. Yeah, John, maybe you're just a better angler than that person you're out there with. <laughs> well, you know, so, somebody, uh, one of my buddies, Michael Adrian, uh, who was one of the guys got me into ice fishing early on. He told me, you know, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. So the first thing I do is find a spot away from where the whole city is and of, of wheelhouses and all that. I just do not like being around people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my wife has gone out with me a few times and, you know, I'm like, I want to go there and then another quarter mile. And if there's somebody there, then we got to go over here. It's like, I do not want neighbors. And, and, you know, it's, it's worked out well, I guess, for me to be by myself and be where the fish are relatively uneducated. <laughs> Anyone's got any questions for Jim or John, go ahead and put them in the comments, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube. And we will get them to these gentlemen. Uh, you know, you guys mentioned your electronics. One of the things that I use a lot when I'm out there is I've got my Markham underwater camera. And with mm -hmm. the zebra mussels down, out, that have kind of taken over the lake, uh, the water clarity is excellent. And mm -hmm. uh, you can really see underwater, you know, 30, 40 feet down. You can see quite, quite well down there. And just going and finding structure and, like you said, finding that bottom composition that they like can make a big difference. Uh, what do you, what do you guys see as far as that bottom composition? What's kind of your favorite type of stuff to fish? My favorite is the one that's holding the fish. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if I'm in the rocks, if I'm in the mud or in the gravel, I don't care. I, I'm again, I'm looking for the active fish. Um, obviously I guess if I were to pick, I, I'd rather be in some of the rocks and gravel because that means I haven't had to travel very far to get away from people, get away from the crowd and find active fish. So I really don't care where I fish as long as we can get ourselves on some active fish. 
And I would say the same thing too. You know, I've got a Markham recon camera myself and uh, unfortunately Lake of the woods is not terribly conducive to camera use. I still put it down, you know, because I have it, but it's, it's not terribly helpful to me. Uh, but again, if I were to choose, I would, I would say as long as I'm on the structure that's holding the fish, uh, I've, Maybe I'm just not knowledgeable enough about mud versus rock versus gravel uh, to, to use that or leverage that knowledge uh, to my advantage. Um, so I guess being that I don't use a camera a ton, it's it's not one of the tools I go right to. Uh, but again, when I'm on Mille Lacs this winter, you can bet that baby's going to be down there. I can see what's going on. And I think that'll make a nice time, too, for my little girl to see those fish down there and have her catch that big one for the yeah. wall. So, so one thing, one thing I'll add to Chris is, um, to the people that are, you know, tuning in, listening, or will listen to this later on, you know, picking your favorite spot, you know, I, I would suggest going, going through a resort. Don't, don't Baja across. Usually the resorts will help you out and finding a spot. I personally haven't been out to the mud flats right or wrong for a couple of years now, because I, I tend to find fish, you know, not too far away. Typically you will get your bigger fish out on the mud, you know, but you're also going to have a lot more of a crowd out there. You're going to be dealing with some people. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I use the camera for drop down there, you just see, sometimes it's just a matter of just little kind of one foot contours down there to make a big difference in how the fish move down there and just finding that little happy spot is awesome. And then the other thing that I see a lot is sometimes you, you see like roots and things like that at the Mm -hmm. bottom and, you know, those places tend to attract insects that attract other things. And finally you get to the fish that you're looking for. So yeah. just kind of finding that kind of stuff is really powerful. Uh, you brought up resorts, Jim. Uh, tell me a little bit about some of your favorite resorts and, and what you like about kind of where you head out of when you're heading on the lake. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give in a little bit here. You know, so we start we start south. We started, uh, we, we like Jerry Brant's a lot early on. There's a lot of structure down there. And the crowd, you know, isn't there to begin with. It does pick up. Uh, there's a ton of structure down there. They take care of you. Uh, and like I said, then we move ourselves east. You know, another good resort on the east side is is McQuaid's, uh, Max Twin Bay. You know, they, they tended to, I used to have a house out of Max Twin Bay for 10 years before I got my wheelhouse. And those, those guys will take care of you out there. Um, and then you got Hunter's Point. If, if you like the, you know, if you like to go in and, and have food, you know, have good food and, and have that bar scene, you know, it's, it's awesome. I honestly don't spend a lot of time in the resorts in the wintertime, again, right or wrong. I, I am, I'm on the lake. I'm there to fish. I'm there to put people on fish and catch, catch the fish. So uh, there's a ton of good resorts. Uh, John mentioned another one, Red Door is another good out of the North end. That's uh, very respectable. You know, it, listen to the resorts and, uh, and, and you'll, you'll have good luck. So, yeah, I don't have a ton to add, uh, to, to Jim's comment other than, uh, I fished out of, uh, Hunter's point and had some success there. And, and again, uh, red door, like I mentioned, you know, those would be the two that, that come to top of mind that, that I frequented and I've been taken care of, you know, both times they have good road systems. Uh, they're knowledgeable, you know, they don't try to jack you around and just, you know, 
I've, I've had good experiences, I guess. And, uh, you know, again, I, I put a lot of faith in them. They're the ones that are putting the road systems in, checking the ice, you know, making sure that to the best of their ability, that the conditions are going to be safe for my, myself, my family, my friends to go out and fish. Um, uh, ice fishing is risky enough just because we're, you know, driving big trucks and ice castles out on the ice. I don't add extra risk to that by just going and bahaing off of a public access. It's just, that's not my speed and, and what you'll find me doing. Um, so yeah, pick your resort that's convenient, close, or, you know, just give one a try and see what you like and, and uh, kind of work from there. Another one that's, that I think is overlooked too, that I should give a little shout out to, and that's Appledorns. Yep. You know, it's really close. I'm on big point and they're really close to me. And, you know, I used them a lot last year, um, just trying to feel them out because uh, we actually ran our summer event out of there and they, mm-hmm. they, they have a phenomenal system out of there. It's a, you know, it's a little higher end. So, it, you know, it's a different crowd over there, but boy, did they take care of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really a nice place to go out of. And Jim, you said they put a, uh, an ice road out from Appledorns? Yep. They have an ice okay. road. And so we will be hosting a, um, uh, an event there this year with Band of Brothers Outdoors. And, okay. and last year, I, I, again, I tried them out. Uh, my middle son got married and he wanted to do his bachelor party on the lake. So I went out of Appledorns and they plowed us a private spot. Didn't charge us a dime to plow a private spot. Um, all we did was pay our access and they, they put us in our own little area uh, nice. on the fish and we had a great time. It, and nice. it's, it's really a nice road system to go out of. It's not as busy as other places. So it, it's nice in that sense as well. Now it's going to be the busy resort. Yep. <laughs> Everybody wants their own private road now. Yep. yep. And they do it for free, Jim. Well, they did because we had a group. We had a group of, of like 15 people. All so. right. That actually brings up a good kind of what I wanted to talk about next. And we've got a ton of, of people just coming on, buying their new houses uh, for the first time in the last few years. So a lot of new fish house users that we didn't have a few years back. And they're going to want to start doing this. Can you talk to us about how that road system works, how this pass thing works uh, for people who are new to Mille Lacs or just new to going out on big water where you have resorts that are kind of tending to these roads, kind of how that works and, and what they need to do to get out there? Yeah, so John and I are used to this a lot from a couple of the sites that we uh, belong to and run. Um, so what I would suggest is for all the newcomers getting into the sport, it's, it's a lot of fun call your resorts, get the information, find the resort that's convenient to you. Like John said, call personally, call the resort or message with the resort, get some information from them. Don't trust other people on Facebook or, or any other groups. So how much ice there is and where we can go and where we can't go get on there, do your own research, the road systems, they plow, you know, based on ice thickness, you know, they'll start out close. They'll work their way out. And they'll keep you as safe as you can be. And as long as you listen to the resort you're going out of, you'll be safe. Yeah. And, uh, and I would add to that, Chris, it sounds like we need to schedule another podcast to talk specifically (laughs) about this topic. Um, after we do three podcasts on fishing, uh, restrictions. Um, but, but yeah, everything that Jim said is spot on. One thing I would add to that is slow the heck down driving you know we do 65 miles an hour 
on the paved roads, getting to the lake. And then, you know, you see guys flying across the ice and then they wreck their equipment, they beat their stuff up. And then, you know, they've created a bad experience for themselves or other people. So taking it easy out on the ice is smart. It's already risky. I know I talked about that. So we, we don't need to add additional risk, I guess, thinking about the word risk, you know, we've seen some pretty big storm systems the last couple of years that have left people out there stranded. So just there, there's no fish worth dying over, whether it's in a boat, whether it's on the ice. And, uh, you know, again, I, I take my little girls fishing. I'm extra cautious when I have them, I'm not going to put them in a risky situation. You know, we've all got, you know, phones and weather forecasting. So there's no reason to be stupid and, and try to stay out when it's unsafe to do so, uh, you know, because, well, look at the weather forecast before you on the lake. And if it's not something that, that is smart to stay out in, then just don't go. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would add to that too. Again, this is where it becomes a whole nother podcast on making sure you have enough food and fuel and propane and water and, you know, whatnot. So you can have an enjoyable experience. Uh, you know, Jim and I met through the Ice Castle Owners Group um, through that page, and and that has been a wealth of information um, just following that page. But every year, like you said, Chris, at this time, you've got newbies to the, the market. We were all new at one time. You have people who are brand new to wheelhouse ownership, and they, you know, they, they just don't know what they don't know. And so, you know, browsing some of those forums, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's ICOG, Fish House 360, Ice Fishing North Dakota, and just getting an idea of what goes on in the winter is very, very good homework that a person can do uh, for no cost. And and then test your equipment. You know, it, uh, my neighbor just bought an ice castle. It's a you know, year and a half old. And we were just looking at it and we had to work through some you know little bugs and hiccups. But the key to that is he had some hiccups. We're dealing with him in his driveway and not out on Mille Lacs when it's 25 below and blowing 40. Um, so even simple things like turning the furnace on or learning how to change a propane tank or water systems, whatever, you know, whatever have you, it's a lot of conversation, but just being, you know, getting familiarized uh, is a very good idea with your equipment and with driving it. And, and again, you know, I haul mine up from Farmington. There's a lot of really crappy roads between Farmington and whatever lake I'm fishing. And it's a lot different than driving a, you know, towing a rig in the summer on dry pavement and, so just get used to that. So, yeah, we have uh, we've had Mark Harmon from Core Ice on the show. And, okay, awesome. And Joel Nelson always comes on, yep. and he's a Yeti guy. And they both say, "Hey, now's a great time to practice getting that house up and down when you don't have snow on the ground, and uh, you can crank it up when it's fifty. It's a lot better than learning how to do it when it's zero. So, yep. uh, if you're a new house owner and you're listening or watching, now's the time to start practicing those things and making sure that your furnace fires up and every, all yep. that stuff." that everything is working. Uh, so we've been talking a lot about getting to these places. Uh, how about actually fishing? We, we got a, a question here from Mr. Tate. And Mr. Tate on YouTube wants to know, what's your favorite starting lure or jig for early ice? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll plead the fifth. Um, oh, right. bad. No, oh. it's so you typically early ice, we're, we'll... Uh, I'm fishing with my wife or one of my boys a lot and uh, a plain red hook is my go-to. Um, and then, and then I'll start bouncing, bouncing the bottom with a, uh, a Lindy glow streak or a Lindy glow spoon or, or something like a, uh, like a Swedish pimple or something like that to, 
to actually see, you know, if there's anything active. I'm, I'm, I'm a very big active fish person. Um, it used to be, I'd pull up on a spot and if I didn't mark fish, I'd move on. And then I, then I elevated as I learn and go, it, it used, then I would, then I would go to the point of now I'm marking fish. I'm just going to fish them. Well, mm-hmm. that doesn't always pay off because there could be a ton of fish down there. They're just not active. So now, now I really focus on finding a spot that's holding fish and not only holding fish, we're looking for the active fish. If they're not active, there's no reason to stick around. So, uh, but, but my go-to is a, is a red, is a red plain hook, uh, almost all the time lately. Yeah. And I've had great success with those, especially if I'm fishing rattle reels or a dead stick with a minnow on a hook, you know, something like that. Uh, the red hook is just, that's just magic. Uh, and you know, without giving away my tackle box, because Jim can tell you everything that's in his, I'll keep mine secret. Um, the the chubby darter, don't invest in one of those. That's a terrible <laughs> lure. I bought a few of them because I watched some Vexlar DVD. And it was like you know, all about the Salmo chubby darter. I haven't caught anything on that. So if you have success with it, reach out, tell me how you fished it and why I failed. Love that. Um, but you know, one thing that, again, I, I learned early on is, you know, just trying different size jigs. So, you know, if, if I come in with something that's a you know, pretty large jig, maybe it's just too large. And so I'll, I'll reduce the size of my presentation, maybe change my presentation from a vertical presentation to a horizontal jig. Um, you know, maybe I'm changing it from a full minnow to a minnow head, minnow tail, And, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, like Jim said, you don't just sit down and do something and just expect success, uh, but be willing to change and, you know, change colors, uh, change sizes if you're playing up or down and change your bait presentation. And, uh, you know, sometimes they want one year they really wanted, you know, red glow. So I went and bought a whole bunch of red glow. And the next year I couldn't catch a darn thing on red glow. And they wanted like blue or something like that. So I don't know if you get in the fish brain, let me know. It, chartreuse used to be my go-to color. I mean, it's still right there at the top of my list, but red, red seems to be it now. But, but like John was saying, you know, I, I, you can't stress that enough. If you're not, if you're not willing to move, be at least be willing to try different things to find mm-hmm. out what the fish are going to bite on. So yeah. that, that would be key. I mean, some people like to plop down and just sit there and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of people that do that, mm-hmm. but be willing to experiment with, with different you know, different jigs and lures. Yeah. One of the things that uh, a lot of the guys that I know that fish up there do well, uh, they'll tell you, make sure you're using both your lines. You know, you can use two lines sure. and yep. make sure you got that dead stick down and you're jigging because there's a lot of people that go out there and just use one rod and you know, they're, they're kind of leaving themselves or they're not getting everything they can get by, yeah. by doing that. So. so what happened a lot last year to us, Chris is, is we would set our, our dead sticks or, or rattle reels, and we'd be jigging in other lines and in our jigs, our actual jigs or lures, rattles, whatever we were using would actually call the fish in. They weren't typically hitting our jigging rods. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd get them in there. We'd call them in. They'd come into the area and then they'd hit one of our set lines almost mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. And that, that seems to be a, a common theme that I, that I hear from a lot of people. That's kind of the, the story up there. Uh, we got another question here coming from YouTube. This one's from Richard, and he wants to know, when's the last time you got on a good perch bite on Mille Lacs? Oh, 10 years ago. John? No, so it, it was, it was, I, I, I don't know the story behind the perch. I am not a 
fishing biologist, I'd really like to sit down and talk to one and figure out what the heck's going on. Because before there were roads to the flats, I fished, I was the run and gun guy. We, we used our, our big skid houses for our home base. And that was it. We'd get on our snowmobiles every morning and head to the mud flats and, and probably as guilty as the next guy, you know, there was no limits on perch type of thing, like a hundred of them or whatever. And we'd go out and fill five gallon buckets full of jumbo perch. It was, it was fun, but it was before they were plowing roads to all the popular spots too. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine, my last perch bite on Malax is probably, it'll come up on my Facebook, you know, memories, um, but probably 20, 12 2013 something like that and again i was fishing with michael adrian and and uh you know i kick myself still because it was the weekend that uh is it hunter's point that hosts that perch extravaganza or whatever it is um and and i thought oh i should enter in that and i thought i'm not gonna catch any perch and then i just pounded perch like two beer cans long and fatter than a beer can perch and i was like I should have entered the contest, but because I didn't, that's why I caught the fish is my reasoning. Um, so, so yeah, it's been a long time. Again, I, I have to admit, I don't target perch. Uh, you know, I think they're a blast to catch, but uh, it's not a species I target intentionally. Uh, but again, you know, guys that fish like devil's lake, you know, say where, where there's perch, there's walleye. And, you know, I've, I've caught them. I would argue in my case, specifically incidentally uh, when I have caught the perch. I love that you brought up the uh, official ICOG measuring device, uh, <laughs> two, two beer cans long. All right. Yeah. I think I think next year maybe the slot limit will be between three and four beer cans up there. Well, you know, for a lot of people in Minnesota, if you measure things in bush light cans, that that is like an immediate recognition. There's no question mark. Yeah, everybody knows how long that is. All right, guys, we've uh, had a good time talking Malax. Uh, let's get into uh, you guys are both with Band of Brothers. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that is and, and kind of what it does. Yeah, so I'm the vice president of Band of Brothers Outdoors. We are a, a nonprofit organization uh, strictly geared towards our nation's heroes or veterans. Um, we put structured hunts, fishing events, uh, kayaking, hiking, mushrooming, uh, all kinds of different hunting and fishing and and just, just to get the vets outdoors. Uh, every event that we put on is free of charge, 100% free of charge to, to the veteran that, uh, that comes on the trip with us. So we've, and we've been, uh, we were founded in 2015. I've been on board with Band of Brothers uh, just as a volunteer to begin. Well, I'm still a volunteer, but, um, but as just a general volunteer, uh, putting on hosting an event on Malax is how I got started with them. And then shortly thereafter, I became staff member and then got voted in to be the vice president. So I've been on board since pretty much the beginning with them and, uh, and enjoying every minute of it. But we are, again, 100% nonprofit. John, what does it mean to you? Yeah, so I joined up with Band of Brothers officially uh, early 2021. So it was kind of right after the uh, the annual ICOG event, and uh, I had supported the organization through a role that I had with ICOG uh, in in 
donations and funding and things like that. And uh, I really found that, that my passion was for helping the vets directly. And so uh, after that event, I spent some good time sitting down and talking with Jim and Jared and they uh, you know, created the role for, uh, I think it's director of corporate sponsorships and fundraising or something like that. I'd have to look at my card, but they brought me on to help with that direct funding. And so it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm very passionate about uh, military service. I did not serve myself, uh, but I've uh, being a physical therapist, I've had just excellent experiences in treating vets and, and law enforcement and whatnot. So this is a really good way for me to, I think, give back, um, to those folks, uh, meet them in their time of need, uh, give them great, meaningful experiences. And, you know, it's, it's fun for me when companies like Vortex, uh, you know, send stuff that, you know, they, they want to be generous with, um, you know, Band of Brothers is very strongly supported uh, by Bubble Blade. We're strongly supported by um, Onyx uh, Fishing Equipment. Jim can speak to that. He's a little closer to those guys. Uh, the Sven Sleeves Company, uh, they they did a big uh, run for us last year and, and it donated an extremely uh, nice, uh, you know, group of funds uh, to the organization. And again, I think unlike other organizations where there is a cost or something like that to the veterans, this is all put on 100% for free. As staff, you know, we pay our own way. Uh, to attend the events that we put on. Uh, but I think we really hang our hat on providing that, you know, kind of no strings attached. And uh, for, a, for a veteran to attend an event, there is a uh, kind of interview process. And we try to make sure that, uh, you know, we're being fair to everybody that's in the organization, that everybody's getting an opportunity um, to attend. And, uh, you know, we, we've just gotten just stellar feedback and you know, there's just just wonderful groups like Appledorn's Resort that helped us host the summer event. And um, Jim, you'll have to help me with the name. Is it Bad River Bucks and yep. um, Bad River Bad, Bucks? Yep. Bad River Bucks that uh, puts on a couple of events for us, and then even some of our own members. Uh, Davey Cook is one of the guys that uh, you know. He is just like the sportsman of sportsmen, and he takes guys out hunting and fishing, and makes me envious because I see him with birds hanging you know, every day on Facebook, it seems like, and I got to go to work and he's out hunting. Uh, but he's always got a veteran by his side and somebody he's sharing that experience with. And, you know, we do the sturgeon trip in the spring up to international falls. And one of our guys, Mike is real instrumental in making that happen. So it's just really neat to see. And again, I'm, I'm very much a novice to the organization, but it's just neat to see how this, uh, this group of volunteers, uh, you know, from the president on down, work very, very hard to put these on and to give these experiences and, and support uh, to the vets. It, it, it's huge. I mean, it, it really has, and it's, it's, it's really taken off. Um, it's been, it's leaps and bounds over the last few years. You know, John mentioned a couple, uh, you know, another big name is Arctic Shield. Shields yeah. is on board with us. The Shields actually has, uh, is part of our wrap on our, on our, what we call our fish tank that was donated to us. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple other big companies. All, uh, I, you know, I, I've, I've been as luck. I've been lucky to make this kind of a family affair. I'm, I'm involved just because of my passion and my wife has joined on and, and is helping a lot. Two of my boys are, are 100% vested in this organization and the company they work for one of my larger customers slash uh, distributors, border States electric pretty much yep. supplies food at just about every one of our events for us. No questions asked. We host an event, we call them. My, my one son that, that works there sets it all up. And uh, it's, we just have a great group of supporters. 
and, you know, and, and staff as well. We got a lot of, a lot of guys and we, and one gal Mm -hmm. um, that just support the mission and we're all in it. We all have a blast doing it. We love just seeing that smile on the veteran's face or their family. You know, there's somewhere Mm -hmm. they're able to bring their kids or their, you know, their wives or, or another, just a friend. So, uh, we, we have a blast doing it and it's very, very, very rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. There was a, uh, uh, it was two years ago at the ICOG event, there was a family who felt uh, very strongly about the organization that a family member pass away. And uh, in their passing, they left some money to the organization. So that uh, family, uh, you know, presented us just off the side. It, it you know, wasn't it made a big deal out of, but they just came up and, and said, hey, you know, we're, we're, we feel real strongly about you guys. And, you know, I, I still maintain that it was dusty. Um, in that area, Jim, when, when we were, you know, having that conversation, cause there wasn't a dry eye, I don't know where they yeah. were doing construction, kicking yep. up the dust, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's stuff like that, that, you know, people are so generous and, and they, they see the value in, in the generosity. And, and I think to me, it's just a privilege to be part, part of the, part of the stream or the, the network to pass on that value of somebody else's generosity. Yeah. Can I throw another plug out there too, Chris? Is that okay? Fire away, Jim. Okay. So we had, uh, you know, I, I and we don't want to fall short here because we do have one main fundraiser every year, and that is teamed up or partnered with Ice Castle Owners Group. Yeah. Um, they chose us back four years ago as the beneficiary of their of their fundraising. So we have this big get together on Red Lake every year, and we raise a lot of money um, mm-hmm. for our organization. Um, because we have a lot of people that that believe in us and trust what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was it was kind of funny this well funny, I guess isn't the right word, but it was really fun this summer. I got a I didn't Jared got a phone call from a company out in Alexandria, Minnesota. And they pick up a, a, a nonprofit every year to where they they have a, a what do they call it a, a month of summer or a month of something at this company where the employees aren't held to any dress codes. They get to wear what they want just to celebrate summer. And during that month, they raise money for a, for a nonprofit that they choose, whoever they pick. And uh, this year happened to be Jared got a phone call from a company up in Alexandria called Douglas machine. And, and they, the Douglas machine matches. So whatever the employees uh, raise for their fundraiser, the, the Douglas machine matches. And they, so they host, they do this throughout the whole month. And then, then it came down to, um, that last, uh, that last week, right before they were going to host it. And they're like, Oh boy, we've raised more money than we've ever raised before. Maybe we should get these guys up here and, and, you know, have them talk and tell us a little bit about them. Well, they contacted Jared. Jared couldn't make it. I was able to make it work. And, you know, I don't like to shrug anything off because money's money, you know, $10 is $10. So, but I took a day out, day off of work to go up there. And, and that's, you know, that's, again, that's another big commitment for anyone that volunteers their time. And I had no idea what I was walking into and I'm not going to share the dollars, but it was astronomical. And I about fell flat on my face when they announced what they raised for our organization. Let's just say it will keep us in business for, uh, you know, a solid two years. So it hats off to Douglas machine up there for what they did this year. Awesome. 
That's very cool. Uh, guys, we're kind of ticking down here on time, but I know we wanted to talk a little Fish House 362. Sure. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what Fish House 360 is? Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Chris. So Fish House 360, uh, I co-founded that with uh, Jason and Nicole Smith. Uh, they are uh, real estate uh, folks out of Iowa that got into the ice fishing world. And I formed a friendship with that family. And so uh, we had attended a couple ICOG events together. And then what we really saw was that there is a need in the market to bring uh, all sorts of products together to a focused uh, audience, a focused consumer group. And so we created Fish House 360, uh, which if you think about it, it's effectively like the Amazon of fishing stuff. And this might be everything from a rattle reel all the way up to an ice house and everything in between. So uh, we we have this marketplace and then uh, we're very big on promoting our vendors. So people that sell through uh, our, our marketplace and it's a lot of fun to be on the, mm -hmm. the cutting edge of products. It's a lot of fun to be involved with people who have an idea. There's one product that just hit uh, the market this week um, called the undercover guide and they're made locally here and they're a, a neat kind of rattle reel containment system that's in a, in a hole sleeve and i've been sworn to secrecy by them since like last summer when they told me about it but they wanted to use our platform to help them launch and so that's coming up and it's just fun to be involved in stuff like that uh you know with with the fish house market and and we want we, what we did is we looked at other groups that do things really well. Like their ICOG or Ice Castle Owners Group is second to nobody in the community, in the forums, in the support. And we thought they're doing that just awesome. We're not trying to be that. Uh, we're, a, we're a sponsor for ICOG. So we partner with them. We're going to be, uh, you know, Fish House 360 will have a presence um, at the Ice Castle Owners Group annual event in January. And, you know, we, we, we want to attract obviously big companies to sell through us, but what we really pride ourselves on is providing a platform for somebody with an idea. Uh, like a, a buddy of mine, Todd Sandberg makes these little spacers uh, for, for the ice castle, for a pivot system and whatnot. And, you know, he's not a guy that's got a million dollar marketing budget and it's not his strong suit to market his product. So he sells through us and we promote his product and, you know, talk about, when we're installing it and why you'd install it. And, uh, you know, we do a live every Friday night. So this week is Pete Scholl with uh, Ice Defense from Cold Nation Outdoors. So he sells his product or their product through our website. And so he's going to come on and talk about the Ice Defense system and, and what that does and, and what is it. So people can tune in to a show just like this, learn about that and engage, uh, you know, that individual so we have a pro staff and Jim is one of our pro staffers and uh, the pro staff is designed around really bringing these products to market, showcasing them, highlighting them and, and helping folks that, uh, you know, maybe need that little boost with marketing, advertising, et cetera, uh, giving them an opportunity or an avenue um, into the market. So it's been a lot of fun. And uh, we brought on a buddy of mine, Brent Ambul is now another one of the managing partners and he's got a lot of great connections. He's made a lot of really awesome things happen. And so it's just been a really nice family of folks. You know, it gives me another excuse to, to bother Jim. We get to talk about band of brothers. So we get to talk about fish Elstree 360. And um, I still haven't convinced him to give me his Mille Lacs numbers yet working on that. Um, but it's, it's just, it's a ton of fun. And, uh, and again, we've got the Facebook presence, we've got the, the actual website and, and, uh, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, you know, probably 
a Snapchat. If I had it, we're probably on there, but uh, you know, it's just a, a good avenue to, to get a lot of folks together and talking and, and really, you know, vetting purchases. You know, you think about two companies um, like hardcore outdoors, John core makes wheel skirts. Well, then there's another company, Burtech ice. They make wheel skirts. You put both those wheel skirts on one website, somebody's shopping for wheel skirts. They have those options right in front of them and they can make a decision on which one fits their needs the best. And then we also attend events. So Brent attended an event this past summer called Landcastle, and he took a whole bunch of products. His fish house was like the Cabela's showroom. He had the Sven sleeves. He had the cat's covers. He had um, Matt Weimer's Ultimate Outdoors uh, rattle reels and just a whole bunch of stuff. He had the, you know, John Core stuff. And, you know, just it was it was a showroom of everything that we had online. So people could actually touch, feel, play, you know, that that experience you can't get from Amazon or the internet is actually feeling something or seeing how it works. Well, when we roll up with our demo houses and we have everything in there, people can touch, feel and play. And I think that provides a, a good experience for a potential customer uh, turned customer. So that's, that's my Ted talk on fish health 360 and it's a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on tonight. It was fun having you and fun talking some fishing. Uh, yeah. Thanks Chris. Yeah, if people you. want to find out more about what you guys got going on, what's the best way to find out about Band of Brothers? So we, we have a webpage, bandofbrothersoutdoors.org. Um, I, th- I see you got .com. That will get us. That will get them there. Uh, we also do host a, a Facebook page, Band of Brothers Outdoors. Um, you know, either way, I, I guess I would suggest following our Facebook page mm-hmm. closer because that's where we're posting a lot of uh, pictures that are happening right now. Um, yeah. And anybody that wants to donate, if, if you, if you feel the need to donate some money, I can guarantee you that 100% of your money goes back to helping a veteran get outdoors. Yep. None of that money other than some, some, you know, marketing or, or any of that uh, no monies goes anywhere else, but to help a veteran get outdoors. And if uh, one plug I would say is if you know a veteran who you think would benefit from attending one of our events, uh, you know, get them hooked up with us. Um, I, I think maybe it's just my perspective. You know, uh, the, the vets that have served our country are very proud people and, and oftentimes, you know, they, they don't want to be a bother. They don't want to be a drain. They don't want to, you know, get a handout or something for free, but that's literally what we exist to do is provide those uh, events for them. Um, so, so get them connected to us and, and we'll make sure that they're taken care of. And we've got a lot of resources and, and just, it's nice to see that camaraderie. So, you know, if you, to all of the audience tonight, if you know somebody who could benefit, get them connected and, and we're going to get them taken care of. So one thing I'll, you know, I'll add too is, is that younger generation is where we really see that is Mm -hmm. they, they've been out, they've been out to war, they've been doing whatever. And they, they, let's say they never got hurt. They never got injured. They don't have this or they don't have that. And they're like, well, I don't need any of that stuff. Well, like John said, that's exactly what we're here for. We don't care if you've been hurt, if you're, you know, 100% ready to run a marathon. We don't care. We're, we're here to serve because you serve for us. Yep. Awesome, guys. Thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks for everything that you guys do uh, for for the veterans and for everybody else who's a hero out there for us. I uh, really appreciate that and appreciate you guys coming on and sharing your knowledge from Malax. Yeah. Next week, we're going to have Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods on. We'll be talking some Lake of the Woods. Sweet. Uh, we'll see you guys. Thanks for which, listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, Chris. Have a good night. 
Thanks for listening to the Fish House Nation podcast presented by Catch Cover. For more ice fishing content, visit our blog at catchcover.com.